You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Boy, they really know how to bury the lead over there at the Sarasota Herald Tribune. You'll find a headline on the cover of the local section, the print edition of the Herald Tribune on July 28th, which was sent to me by Alec in Florida. Thank you, Alec in Florida. You'll find a headline that reads, Moat Marine responds to handling of Hughes' death. Professional standards and practices were not followed. Moat Marine is an aquarium and Hugh was a manatee, a beloved local icon, according to the story. So beloved was Hugh, the manatee in Sarasota, that they didn't have to identify Hugh as a manatee in the headline. Everyone in Sarasota knew which Hugh the Herald Tribune was talking about. Just like you don't need to clarify which tailor you mean when you're talking about a tailor in the United States, you did not need to clarify which Hugh in Sarasota you were talking about when you talked about Hugh in Sarasota. There is only one Hugh in Sarasota. Or there was only one Hugh, or there's one less Hugh now. Hugh is dead. That was right there in the headline. Hugh died at the Moat Marine Aquarium where he'd been for decades, most of his life, and he died before his time. Manatees usually live for 50 or 60 years, and poor Hugh was only 36. It is not right that Henry Kissinger outlived Hugh. But how did Hugh die? Not in the headline, not in the lead. In fact, after the jump. All right, for my younger listeners, jump is kind of a print thing. A story starts on the front page, but it can't all fit on the front page. So after a paragraph or two, you'll find a note that says, see Manatee, page three. And you have to turn to page three to finish reading the story because the story jumped to page three. Okay, so it was after the jump, four paragraphs into the story that we find out how Hugh died. That poor Manatee was fucked to death by the only other manatee in his tank who happened to be his brother. It's apparently not uncommon for male manatees to engage in what's called mating behavior, but this session of mating behavior was too aggressive and wound up puncturing Hugh's colon and Hugh died of his injuries. And knowing what they know now, the team at Moat Marine would have opted to separate the manatees, Hugh and his brother, instead of trying, as the story notes, to just distract them. Sick stuff, to borrow a phrase, and the lead in every other story about Hugh's death. Every other story out there focuses on that sick stuff. But the local paper, bowing to local sensibilities, and maybe the local paper is afraid to say gay or imply gay. This is Florida we're talking about. Can't even say gay about a dead manatee. They put the cause of death after the jump. They buried it. So we live in a world where... Rudy Giuliani hasn't been fucked to death by a manatee, but poor Hugh has. You're probably thinking, is that really going to be Dan's segue into the Rudy Giuliani news? Yes. Yes, it is. That is my segue, and I'm sticking to it, and I'm going to defend it. For the record, I'm not suggesting that a manatee should have fucked Rudy Giuliani to death. I wouldn't wish Hugh's fate on anyone. No one should get fucked to death by a manatee, not even a manatee. But if the worst had happened, 
And Rudy Giuliani had fallen into a manatee tank in 2002 or 2003 and been fucked to death by a manatee before he ran for president, before he became Donald J. Trump's personal attorney, before he conspired to overturn the 2020 election, before four seasons, before the hair dye running down his face, before farting, during a court proceeding on television, he would have been remembered as the hero mayor of New York City on the day of the attacks of 9-11 in 2001, which was always kind of bullshit. Rudy was the one who decided to locate the city's Office of Emergency Management in the World Trade Center, even though the World Trade Center had been targeted by terrorists in a 1993 bombing that almost brought down one of the buildings. And then Rudy tried to illegally extend his term in office as mayor after the 9-11 attacks, which for all we know is where Trump got the idea to extend his time in the White House after losing the 2020 election. But if Rudy had just died, been fucked to death by a manatee, or better still, just fucked off, retired and went away, or if he'd gone the way we'd all like to go peacefully in our sleep, but years ago, before the election of our first black president broke his brain, there would be schools and airports named after this guy. But now, now he's just going to be remembered for four seasons and hair dye running down his face and conspiracy theories and farting in court and a sexual harassment lawsuit filed last week by a former employee. There are tapes, there are transcripts, and it is sick stuff. I can't read it out loud. I can't do it. If you want to read what Ruli Giuliani said to his employee who is now a former employee who's now suing him for sexual harassment. The Daily Beast has the story. And if you need to hear it, here's John Lovett from the Love It or Leave It podcast reading aloud from the transcripts. According to one transcript, Giuliani said the following to Dunphy on March 12, 2019, and I quote, Come here, big tits. Come here, big tits. Your tits belong to me. Give them to me, indiscernible. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. These are my tits. <laughs> Not to king shame, but should Giuliani kill himself? <laughs> Sick stuff. Sick stuff is actually how Rudy Giuliani himself described a painting he didn't like that was hanging at the Brooklyn Art Museum back when he was the mayor of New York City in 1999, a painting that offended Giuliani as a practicing Catholic so deeply that Giuliani ordered the city's attorneys to evict and close the century-old Brooklyn Art Museum because he didn't like a painting of the Virgin Mary created by an African artist using elephant dung as a medium. It offended Ruli Giuliani as a practicing Catholic who's been divorced and married three times and appears or is alleged to be guilty of sexually harassing an employee, also wage theft, at least one employee that we know about, the one who got it on tape. And isn't it always like this with authoritarians, which Rudy revealed himself to be back when he was mayor of New York, not a new thing with him, always with the authoritarians and the wannabe fascists. Performance of public morality, stunts like trying to shut down the Brooklyn Art Museum, performances of public morality that involve abusing their authority, and then privately, sexually harassing employees as you marry and discard wives and destroy children. Rudy is a man who could have been remembered as a hero 
could have been remembered as a beloved national icon if only he'd fallen into a manatee tank in 2003 and been fucked to death by a manatee or again just fucked the fuck off and went away but he didn't could have been a hue could have been a beloved icon long remembered instead we are going to remember rudy giuliani for his abusive illegal mating behaviors sick stuff all right, coming up on today's Lovecast on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum, Faith Hill from The Atlantic is here to talk about rebound relationships. Do they ever work out? Are they doomed? Hill talked to the sex researchers and social scientists who are looking into rebound relationships, and her answer may surprise you. Also, Magnum subs, mark your calendars. The next Savage Love Live, my Zoom show exclusively for Magnum Savage Lovecast subs, is at the end of this month, Thursday, August 31st at noon Pacific. All right, on to today's show. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Go to helixsleep.com SAVAGE. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace, therapy made easy. Get $80 off your first month when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I went on a date with a guy and he was really hot and he had pictures of him with like a really nice chiseled body, which a body isn't everything. But I went on the date with him yesterday and he was, I'm not kidding, about 100 pounds heavier and he did not dress in a way that was flattering. His buttons were popping a little bit of his button down. And basically, I was like, hey, I'm not really interested in, like, moving further. I had a really nice time and good conversation. Thanks. And, he, and now he's asking why it's not working. So my question is, do I tell him the truth that you effectively lied about how you look or do I just leave it? Let sleeping dogs fly. This happens a lot. People show up for a hookup or a date and the person doesn't look like the photographs that they shared with you. Hopefully you are blameless. You shared current and accurate photographs of yourself, but this person may be standing at their door to their apartment or they may be standing at the door to your apartment if you're gay or you may be meeting up in a public place for a coffee or a date if you're not gay, and they don't look anything like their photographs. Well, what do you do? You don't have to go through with it. You don't have to go through with the date. You can politely excuse yourself. You can close the door in their face, which is definitely a thing that happens. But that is a hard thing to do, to look at someone and say, you know what? I'm out. And people who send inaccurate, dated photographs, I think consciously, in most cases, subconsciously in some, are trying to leverage the awkwardness of that moment. They know it's hard, you know, it sucks to be rejected, but they also know it's hard to reject someone in a moment like that. And people who send inaccurate, out-of-date photographs are hoping that to avoid the awkwardness of calling it off, you'll go through with it. You'll have the date or have the sex. That's shitty behavior. That's manipulative, that's gross. So I think you 
should say in the circumstance you found yourself in, look, it was nice to meet you. You need current photographs. You didn't look anything like your photographs. And so, you know, that's why I didn't want to go through with it. I wasn't interested in you. I wasn't attracted to you. I was attracted to you in those photos, but you don't look like your photos. And you can express empathy. I'm sure this is hard to hear. You set yourself up to hear this though by sending inaccurate photographs. You can spare yourself this kind of pain and suffering in the future by sending accurate photographs. And then you will wind up on a date with somebody who actually wants to fuck you. you wind up standing at the front door of somebody who actually wants to have you into their apartment. So this is his fault. It is the fault of the person who sends inaccurate dated photographs when they face the kind of rejection that you're going to meet out to this person. And you should, you should, you should tell him. You don't have to say you were ripped in the photos, you're fat now. I'm sure he knows the difference between the way he looked when the photographs were taken and the way he looks now. All you got to say is you didn't look anything like your photographs, period, the end. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old bisexual cis woman, and I'm currently dating a guy who is 50. My problem is that my 55-year-old mom disapproves of our relationship. For context, she has always been a bit too invested in my relationships in the wrong way. When she discovered that I was having sex at age 17 with my 19-year-old boyfriend, she became physically violent towards me. Her relationships with my partners have always been tense. Unfortunately, she also happens to be friends with my current boyfriend's ex-wife. I recently moved back to a small town and didn't realize the connection until after we had started dating. My mom lives with me in a house that I bought and obviously is uncomfortable with my boyfriend. She is pleasant enough towards him when he comes over, but she would rather I not date him. When I said that he would be spending the night recently, she huffed and I said that we would go to his place instead. I'm primarily trying to accommodate her because one, she has a chronic illness and I want her to be comfortable. And two, my boyfriend is her friend's ex. However, I feel constantly stressed about the situation, especially when her friends make comments about the age gap. I feel like a child in my own home. Also, what do you recommend saying to people who take issue with age gap relationships? Kicking your mom out. Try that in a small town. Actually, that is my advice. I think you should try that in the small town where you live, at least threatening that. You got to go to your mom and say, you live in my house that I paid for. I am doing you a kindness. I am being a loving daughter. I need you to show me kindness in return and be a loving mother. And that means shut the fuck up about my boyfriend and stop judging and shaming me for falling in love with the guy I happened to fall in love with. I'm sorry it put you in an awkward position with your friend, his ex-wife, but... The course of true love ne'er did run smooth, mom. And in my case, the course of true love ran straight through your friend's failed marriage. And I had nothing to do with it failing. And this is the last conversation we're having about this. And then if your mom continues to terrorize you, your mom who was violent with you when you were a teenager in an age-appropriate relationship, 19s and 17-year-olds can date. The fact that your mother had a problem with you dating a 19-year-old when you were 17 and got violent with you, that's an indication that your mom is not comfortable with you being a sexual person at all. And that disqualifies your mother if she can't get past it 
or suppress it or stifle it or shut the fuck up about it from living with you rent-free. Unless your mom's paying rent. Still, you got to tell your mom, you can live with me and we can get along or we can not get along and you cannot live with me. You're going to have to play that card, use that leverage. You shouldn't have to evacuate from the house that you own to spend the night with your boyfriend. As for age gap relationships, you know, there are a lot of them out there. I'm personally involved in two overlapping age gap relationships. I think when there's a significant age gap, that can point to a power imbalance that could potentially be exploited by the older person who is assumed to have more power, more experience, and could leverage power experience, sometimes financial advantages if they have them, over the less experienced, less financially secure younger partner, and therefore relationships with large age gaps, and again, I say this to someone in one of those, come in for a greater degree of scrutiny. And the people in an age gap relationship should welcome that scrutiny. You know, if you're the younger person and your friends are asking you a lot of questions, or your family has concerns, it means they're concerned about you and don't want to see you exploited. If you're the older person and your friends have concerns or the family of the person that you're dating has concerns, that means that you're being interrogated. That means they're, they want to make sure you're not manipulating or abusing the younger person, exploiting their presumed naivete, and you're being vetted. And once you answer those questions and people feel comfortable with the relationship and don't think there's any exploitation going on, then the relationship will be supported. But you know, re reacting indignantly if anybody has a question about your significant age gap relationship to shut down that scrutiny I think that's a red flag, that there may be exploitation going on in that relationship if that higher degree of scrutiny, at least around the potential for abuse in an age gap relationship, is rejected out of hand. So maybe to your mom, answer whatever questions she has so that she's assured that you are not being taken advantage of. But she's not allowed to question your taste, your attraction to this person. If you're into 50-year-olds, who am I as a 50-something to say that people shouldn't be attracted to 50-somethings? But if your mom can't accept that you're in this relationship and, you know, after it's vetted, after you endure the higher degree of scrutiny, can't calm down about it, then you need to look into other living arrangements potentially for your mom. Long-term care facilities, an apartment that with whatever government support she gets, she could swing. Maybe she could move in with your boyfriend's ex-wife if they're so fond of each other. It may be that you can't live with your mother and you aren't obligated to live with your mother and endure her abuse just because she's chronically ill. It's your house. That means your rules. And also, whenever you want to have him spend the night, your boyfriend. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. 
Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non-binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff, or a well-rounded bush. This high-quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti-nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers, over 1,000 five-star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy with your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience, and with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today. I'm a mid-30s married cis woman with a question about cum. I, as a young woman, deferred to men, as most young women do, and really believed in the spit or swallow as the only options after blowjobs. When I realized I had more autonomy over my sexual choices, I realized how much I hate cum in my mouth and stopped letting men come in my mouth. Unfortunately, this also included my husband. We've been together for 11 years and I've never let him come in my mouth. He really wants to, I think partially because he finds it hot and partially because it's something he can't have. And I want to be able to give him this gift for a special occasion at least once, but mentally, like, when I think about it, when I've tried to let him do it in the past, like, it makes me gag and I'm worried I'm going to throw up. It's the thought of, like, the warm stickiness in my mouth just really grosses me out. Is there anything I can do to mentally get over this hump so I can give my husband the gift of coming in my mouth, or should I just stick to my guns and tell him it's off the table? If you want to give him the gift of being able to come in your mouth and you can't do that without puking in his lap, well then you might have to give him the gift of puking in his lap after he comes in your mouth. I don't think there's actually a workaround here that doesn't risk the thing that you've identified as a significant risk, that come in your mouth is so disgusting that you're not sure you'll be able to keep your lunch or your dinner or your breakfast down. And so if he really wants this and you've rehearsed the risks with him and you want to do this for him at least once on a special occasion, just fucking go for it. There's no amount of pineapple he can eat that's going to turn his cum into vanilla frozen yogurt, room temperature, or anything else. You're just going to have to power through if indeed you want to do this for him. And I know the idea of throwing up on somebody that you're blowing is disgusting and a huge disincentive, but it will also be a huge disincentive for him if that actually happens to not ask you to do this ever the fuck again. Mattresses. When you think about how much time you spend on your mattress every night, and then you think about how long you stick with one mattress, you should get the best mattress you can. And that mattress, without question, is a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix Sleep lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a new collection of six luxury models called Helix Elite. 
These mattresses are loaded up with super high-tech features like a built-in cooling cover, comfort layers tailored to sleeping position support, and edge reinforcement. And every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz now to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge for that 100-night trial. You get to try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit for you, you are welcome to return it for a full refund. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage for 20% off. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. Go to Helix. Go now. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, Dan. So I have a coworker. Let's say her name is Sydney. Sydney has a sister. Let's say her name is Kelly. About a month ago, Kelly realized that her credit card was missing from her house. And she kind of checked around. And the only other thing she could find that was missing was her vibrator. So she checked her credit card statement. And there were some charges on there for scooter parts. And the delivery address was right next door to the neighbor's house. And Kelly's been friendly with these neighbors for years, but they have a 14-year-old son who has some behavioral issues. So she goes over to the neighbors and talks to the mom and says, hey, I realized that my credit card's missing and also some personal items and just kind of left it at that. And the delivery address for these scooter parts was supposed to be your house. And so the mom was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'll do some looking around. So a few days later, the mom comes over to Kelly's with this box. And she says, I went through his room. This is the th- what I found. And I'm so sorry. When I confronted him, he took off and he ran away. I guess the kid ended up being gone for like two days. I don't know how they found him. But anyways, I seen a picture of the contents of this box. There were like 15 different vibrators and butt plugs and also several bottles of lube. And Kelly said, only one of these is mine. And I guess the mom just burst into tears, dropped the box right there and ran out the house. Also, two of these vibrators in this box looked very much like a vibrator my friend and I found in her mom's nightstand in the 90s. And she's now almost 70. So the assumption is that this kid is going around the neighborhood, breaking into people's houses and stealing these things. And I think it's a good chance also a couple of his victims have been elderly women. So Sydney asked Kelly, what are you going to do? Are you going to call the cops? Are you going to turn them in? But Kelly's afraid to. She's afraid that the kid will retaliate against her or she has a four-year-old son of her own. She's afraid the neighbor boy will hurt her son. So she's just going to let it go. But Sydney and I talked about it like, what if he breaks into somebody's house not realizing their home and gets shot and killed? Or breaking into people's houses and stealing their sex toys seems like pretty sexually deviant behavior, doesn't it? So what if he goes and rapes somebody? So my question to you is, if this was your house and your sex toys and your 14-year-old neighbor boy, how would you handle it? There need to be consequences. In a way, there already has been at least a consequence for this kid, which is his embarrassment, his mortification, what 
caused him to run away for two days, to not be able to look his mom, who he's caused so much pain, in her eyes. She, he, she, he couldn't face his mom because he knows what he was doing was creepy and fucked up and wrong. Will that be enough to get him to stop doing this thing? Is this something that he feels an uncontrollable compulsion to do, not despite the fact that it requires a violation of the privacy and sexualities of all these women that he's stolen these sex toys from, but because it involves that kind of violation, something for him to unpack with a therapist or counselor. I think that is the consequence that this kid needs right now. Speaking to you now, Kelly, going to directly address Kelly from here on out. The follow through that you as legitimately the victim here, not just of this theft of a sex toy, but the theft of a credit card, the follow through that you have a right to see his mom make sure happens, which is him getting into counseling, getting onto a therapist's couch so that he can understand why this is fucked up, not okay, not a pattern that he wants to carry out of his crazy hormone-addled 13, 14, 15-year-old adolescence into his adulthood because it will make women feel unsafe in their own homes. Not okay, but it'll also warp and fuck up his entire life because eventually he will get in trouble with the law. Eventually, you know, you can't go on stealing people's dildos and vibrators and credit cards without making a lot of, you know, victimizing a lot of people, but in the end, blowing up and burning down your own life as well. You know, one way that you make sure that people follow through is to create some accountability, some expectations. This kid lives next door to you. You're going to have to look this kid in the eye. He's going to have to look you in the eye. If you are willing to do this, it might really help this kid, help your neighbor that mom who's my heart kind of breaks for at this moment, if you were willing to sit down with him and look him in the eye and say, this is fucked up because, and I felt violated because, and to make him understand that although he didn't do anything in the stealing of these toys to make sure that the people that he was stealing them from knew that their sex toys were being stolen and perved on by someone else, that he didn't, intend for a person to feel as violated as he could have intended them to feel by doing this sort of thing. You know, if you really wanted to make sure you felt violated by the disappearance of your sex toy, he would have perhaps left evidence that it had been taken, not just mislaid or misplaced. He didn't do that. He obviously wanted access to these things without necessarily inflicting as much damage as he could possibly psychically on his victims. And so I, I just think you can have a conversation with him about what he did, why he did it, why even if he didn't intend to make somebody feel unsafe in their own home or violated, that is what he did. That is what happened and why it is not okay. And looking into the eyes of one of his victims may help push him past this, get him out of this, see how wrong this is, Perhaps then go and find better and more constructive ways to assemble the sex toy collection that he wants. But let's not round him up from creepy kid to rapist. Collecting other people's sex toys, sneaking to other people's houses, not okay. 
definitely a worrisome trait habit of fucking May Day's parade worth of red flags that require an intervention and, and, and accountability. But those interventions, that kind of accountability is capacity to feel shame, to be mortified can hopefully prevent this from the worst case scenario. But every creepy teenager perving out in ways that are not okay, navigating an adult world where they don't have access to everything that they might like to have access to, and so take some things from the adults around them that they shouldn't take, all of those kids doing that sort of thing, most of them don't grow up to be rapists or serial killers. Most of them outgrow that, leave that stage behind. And sometimes it's because they got caught and it was awful for their parents, for them. So yeah, this should be awful for him right now. You should make sure it's awful for him right now. I would encourage you to reach out to this kid's mom and express some solidarity with her because this is a terrible thing that she's going through right now too that is happening to her and offer what support you can, including offering, if you're willing, to sit down with her son and explain to him why this was not okay with his mother present. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to find one or get to an office to meet with one, or you worry you can't afford one? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you need easy, accessible, and affordable. When you've met your therapy goals or want to take a break or cancel, Talkspace has a simple cancellation process and will work with you to get a prorated refund for unused time, if applicable. When I first started this show, there was no such thing as Talkspace. I would sometimes tell people to talk with someone, to see a therapist, but I knew not everyone could do that. It was harder back then to find a good therapist and making the time for therapy has always been hard for everybody. Things have changed. Thanks to Talkspace, it is easier now than ever for people to get the kind of help I often recommend. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your own home. There's no time eating up commuting to appointments. You don't have to miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend your sessions. It is mental health care made easy. Talkspace can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash savage to get $80 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. My wife and I have been married for 11 years. We've been together for 16 years, and we're having conversation right now about opening up our marriage. I have been living with HIV for eight years. I'm undetectable and healthy, but I recognize as we open up this uh, or talk about opening up the marriage, that my experience may be very different from my wife's. And there may be barriers that involve rejection and awkward conversations that could really affect the sort of excitement and play aspect of this situation that we may go down. So I 
I'm wondering if uh, it makes sense that, you know, maybe my wife and I each get to go have one sexual experience outside of the marriage, bring it back, talk about it, what the experiences were. And that way it does feel like we both get to have this experience. But if mine takes longer to secure for me to find someone who is comfortable with the situation, comfortable with my status, that you know, there is still just some sort of balance in between like that we have a chance to, my wife and I have a chance to assess how we feel about opening up the marriage and our experiences. And it doesn't become something where my wife has loads of experiences and I can't find a single person who's comfortable with my status. I'm also looking for any advice on how to have that conversation with someone and when the appropriate time is to tell them that while I test negative now, I once tested positive for HIV. It's often the experience of opposite sex couples when they open the relationship, even if it was his idea, that it's a lot easier for a woman to find a whole bunch of men who don't care that she's married to someone else and doesn't want anything more from them than sex. And a lot harder for guys to find women who feel the same way, who don't care that he's married and don't want anything more from him than just sex. So that sometimes creates tensions in relationships that are newly opened, often even at the instigation of the the guy, the husband. He wanted to open the relationship. She agreed or reluctantly agreed. And then she's having tons of sex, really happy about having opened the relationship, enjoying these new experiences. And he hasn't found many or every once in a while any other sex partners. And it can feel unfair. What you propose, I don't think this is an unreasonable fix to, to get out in front of that. You know, if you can say, look, we're going to open the relationship a lot easier for women to get laid than for guys to get laid, even taking HIV out of the mix here. And I know that if you have 15 sexual experiences with 15 different guys in the next six months, and I'm still working the apps, I'm going to feel bad. And we don't want that kind of resentment to ruin openness for the both of us. So let's agree one for you, one for me. And then we talk about it. And if you get your one in a week and it takes me six months to find my one, well, that's what we're agreeing to in advance. And who knows, maybe black swan event, I'll find one right away and it'll take six months for you to find a guy that you're interested in or feel safe with. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad way of getting out in front of this tension that can really screw up a newly opened opposite sex relationship. Now, your concern around being HIV positive and having a zero viral load, undetectable equals uninfectious. Someone who knows themselves to be HIV positive and is on medications and has an undetectable viral load can't transmit HIV. Someone who thinks they're negative and isn't can. The problem that you're going to face is that while a lot of gay men, while enough gay men understand that, that if you were out and gay and looking for male partners, you wouldn't have much of a problem finding male partners, you're, I'm guessing, although you did refer to looking for persons to have sex with other than your wife, you're primarily interested in women. And most straight women, many straight women, particularly straight women your age, are going to have perhaps a less informed attitude about what it means to be with somebody who's HIV positive and how comparatively safe a partner you are 
as an HIV positive person with an undetectable viral load compared to all the other guys out there who only think they're HIV negative and might not be. I don't think that's a conversation that you're going to be able to avoid. I do think there's an upside for you in having that conversation. It will scare some women away. But you know why it's harder for straight guys in newly open relationships to find female partners, to find women who want to fuck them? Not as easy as it is for their wives to find men who want to fuck them? Because women often need to feel a certain degree of safety and emotional comfort with a man before they're willing to be sexual with him. And there are lots of reasons for that. Take the rest of the show to explain them. We've talked about them before. Women negotiate sex with men from a position of fear, legitimate fear of male violence. So while it's easy for your wife to find a guy to jump into bed with her, no questions asked, a woman that you're interested in is going to have some questions for you, is going to want to feel safe and comfortable with you. And so this conversation, it gives you a way to demonstrate to a potential female partner, to a woman that you're interested in, that you're safe. If she hangs out long enough for you to explain that you're undetectable and therefore can't infect her, safe from HIV, but also you will demonstrate to her as you have this conversation with her that you are, you have the emotional intelligence and you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and you're willing to engage and be honest. And that conversation with the wrong women, scare the wrong women away, women you don't want to be with anyway, with the right woman, it's going to prove you are the guy that she wants to jump in bed with, the married guy that she wants to fuck. Not despite the fact that you had to have this conversation with her about HIV, but because you had that conversation with her about HIV and how you had it. Hi, Dan. My vagina-having partner has a fantasy of sitting on a cake and then having the, the consequences of that uh, eaten off of her. And so as we prepare to do this, we are interested in health considerations, specifically vaginal health and dairy products or sugar. What kinds of precautions should one take when engaging in activity that could potentially fill someone's holes with frosting and, and crumbs? If you get sugar into your girlfriend's vaginal canal, it can change the pH balance. It can leave her vulnerable to yeast infections. So kind of, sort of, not a thing you want to do depending on how, you know, the risk-benefit analysis your girlfriend might do. Is the benefit of getting to act out this fantasy of smushing her twat down on a cake and having you chew the frosting and crumbs out of her labia, is it worth the risk of a yeast infection? Is a yeast infection something she's stared down before? Is that something she's willing to risk again to fulfill this fantasy, well then you could make a case for it. Depending on where you get that cake, you know, some shitty bakeries, if you get it from Costco or you get it from Safeway, who knows what you're, they're using in those dyes. There could be, you know, to make the roses red or blue, there could be other irritants in there, skin irritants, and that's delicate, sensitive skin down there. And there could be an issue that has nothing to do with getting sugar into the vaginal canal and upsetting the pH balance uh, and risking a yeast infection. Another option you can get, we've talked about them before for oral sex. I'm sure they wouldn't mind if you used them. You could get Laurels, L-O-R-A-L-S. They're a kind of 
panty shape. They're, they're dental dams, but panties, dental dam underpants that are thin and allow for someone who's going down on someone wearing a pair to still see and be able to identify and stimulate the labia, the clitoris, the opening of the vaginal canal. And so if your girlfriend didn't want to risk that yeast infection by sitting her twat down on a cake, she could pull her twat into a pair of laurels first. A very thin membrane then would be separating her pussy from that cake. And yet it would still be smeared all over her labia and all over her crotch, all over her backside. And you would still be able to lap all that sugar up. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Michaela D. Jordan, beyond the fact that the girl with the bi boyfriend seems to be looking for a reason for him to be gay, this relationship sounds so chaotic. A relationship being this rocky and stressful for four years, that seems like a high price of admission. Also, bi men exist and they are amazing. Couldn't agree with you more, Michaela. Speaking of agreeing or disagreeing, a lot of people out there disagreed with my advice for the guy who told his wife he wanted her to sleep with other men and then found out that she had or was planning to, but she was doing the having and planning behind his back. Cheating lemons that I thought could be made into some ENM lemonade with some effort. Speaking for the opposition, Laura writes, dirty talk does not constitute the consent of both parties to open their relationship and certainly doesn't constitute a free pass for the wife to go around doing things behind her husband's back, whether the thought turns him on or not. This was a major breach of trust on the wife's part, and I don't think Dan's response adequately addressed that fact. All right, to be clear, I don't think what the wife did was okay. It was a violation of trust and what seems, given what we know about their relationship with her husband's interests, an unnecessary violation of trust. But if what really turns her on is having a secret, as other listeners pointed out in the comments thread at Savage love, then being open and honest about everything isn't going to be a fix that works. That said, I have interviewed a lot of cuckold couples over the years and some people in loving, stable, cuckold relationships or loving, stable, stag and vixen relationships. And a lot of them got to that very good place after a very bad start. Starts that sometimes involved, yes, violations of trust. Finally, Veer Modestus writes, to the caller with the wet pussy pride, if you are in an area where you can get cannabis, have you tried incorporating that into your sexy times? In my experience, THC decreases wetness even as it often makes the orgasms more intense. Talk about a win-win. Thank you for that comment, Veer. For more listener comments, more of my responses, check out Struggle Session posted every Thursday at savage.love where I respond to comments, emails, DMs. It's another perk for Magnum subs. For all the perks, become a Magnum sub today at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. Hey, Dan, I'm a longtime listener. Think listening to you on the short bus in high school uh, and calling in about episode 875 for the listener whose meditation teacher and therapist sent her sexually suggestive texts at one in the morning. I am a rabbi, yes, a sex positive rabbi, and I would never, ever, ever send a congregant a text in the middle of the night, God forbid, from a sex club. You need to dump this guy. Regardless of if you choose to fuck him or not, he has demonstrated that he is not a safe mentor or care provider right now. Of course, he might be for other people and could one day, again, be a safe person to sit with in meditation, 
I don't really think in therapy, but he's violated a sacred space with you by shooting his shot at 1.30 in the morning. You're right that because of the intimacy that we have with our spiritual leaders and the power differential, it totally kicks up crushes pretty regularly. Spiritual leaders are responsible for watching for that dynamic and shutting it down or ignoring it. You yourself are not responsible for managing that dynamic and you did nothing wrong. Hey, Dan, this is a response call to the guy on the most recent episode that his dad may be oversharing a little bit of his new poly kinky lifestyle. Me and my mom are a lot more open with each other than I know a lot of other parents and kids are. We're both poly, so we both talk about our partners and stuff, but we have developed a system since we are mother-daughter called red light, green light, and yellow light, where one, she will always ask me first, like, do you want to hear about this? And I will usually say yes, or I'll tell her, no, not really. But whenever we're having those conversations, if there's ever anything that starts to creep on that too much, I will say yellow light, interrupt her, just in mid-conversation, just saying yellow light. Or if it's a total, oh, God, gross, ew, no, don't want to know about that, I will say red light. And we have this for both ways. She's done it to me as well. And I think it's a way where if you don't necessarily want to hear absolutely nothing about your dad's polycule, kinky lifestyle, it's a great way to have him be able to still be open and have conversations with you while still setting boundaries. Hi, this is a comment for the caller with triplets. I think it would be wise to open this conversation up with your partner because this is a pretty universal experience for women. Our breasts go from something sexual, perhaps something to be enjoyed, to feeding tubes for a baby, which really, oof, it can be a bummer for women everywhere. So if your wife, your partner is breastfeeding, this might be an amazing conversation to have with her. If she's not, she might still feel the same way. And I think if you have intimate friendships and open friendships with other women who have experienced breastfeeding, it might be an interesting conversation. You might be really able to learn something from them and remember that it is temporary. Good luck with those triplets. Holy moly. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while that question is still fresh in your mind and record it and send it to me. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or your comment to q at savage.love or you can leave us a message at 206 302 The Hump Streaming Library is now live. The library is open, featuring five volumes of Hump's greatest hits, the last three years of full streaming lineups, including this year's lineup, and Hump Hardcore, a new collection of the kinkiest films in Hump history. Go to humpfilmfest.com to watch the trailers, check out the lineups, and start streaming today. And while you're there, be sure to click on humpfilmfest.com slash submit to find out how you can get your five minutes or less dirty movie into my dirty festival. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me at Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And yes, for now, still, you can follow me on the microblogging platform formerly known as Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow The Atlantic's Faith Hill on Twitter at FHill underscore official. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk you and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week for our installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.